Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Dan, and welcome to our Friday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Today it is a roundtable, so Mary Kay Cabot, Doug Maurice, Scott Patsko, we're going to do a roundtable draft like we like to do on Fridays, and we are picking Andrew Barry acquisition. Free agent signings, trades, draft picks. We're going to go through and rank the best acquisitions, the biggest bang for the buck that Andrew Barry has gotten in his short time as Brown's GM. Of course, I'll tell you about Football Insider here as well, too. Head to cleveland.com slash browns. Click on the blue banner at the top of the page to get access to exclusive content on cleveland.com slash browns. A newsletter sent directly to your inbox every day and to get involved with our texting. Again, that's cleveland.com slash browns. The blue banner at the top of the page to check out and get info for Football Insider. All right, here we go. Our Friday podcast. You are absolutely killing me, Mary Kay. You are absolutely <laughs> killing me. You're saying you're going against what you said on an earlier pod about him. I ranked him 14th because I listened to what you said on an earlier pod. <laughs> I can't have him in the top 10. Mary Kay will kill me. And the way we go here on our Friday roundtable, we are drafting Andrew Barry's moves, additions, since he showed up to Cleveland. So this counts free agent signings, waiver claims, draft picks, uh, since Andrew Barry took this job, players only, we're not doing coaches or front office staff, anything like that, players only additions Andrew mm-hmm. Barry has made. Here's our draft order. Doug is going to go first. I'm going to go second. Uh, Mary Kay will go third. Scott will go fourth. So, Doug, lead us off. Who's your number one pick? So, I think a lot of these drafts that we've done, there's sort of been like an obvious number one pick, right, that we sort of all agreed. It's like, okay, I- I'm curious. I I think it's possible there's like maybe three or four different moves that people might have as a number one pick. So I'll be very excited after I declare mine to see what other people have. We're doing bang for the buck. It's not just a list of best players, right? It's the capital you expended and the value you're getting back. And so I'm going with a guy that I think pulls everything they've done together. And I think it's, High-level player and great value at a need of great importance, and I think his best move is John Johnson the third. I think it's exactly what I thought they needed. There were not a million safeties available. I think there were clearly like two top safeties, and they went out and got their guy right away and at value. I think that people think that they – I mean, Mary Kay has written, he turned down more money elsewhere. And he is going to pull everything together. He's a young veteran. He's a leader. He's a skilled player. 
He can cover. He can play the run. I think he is like the bow on the present, and I think he's specific. I'm not sure. I mean, there's certainly not a million guys they could have gotten this offseason to do what John Johnson is going to do for them, and so he's my number one. That's interesting. He's not who I had on the top of my list, but he was near the top of my list. Does anybody else have John Johnson as, as their number one guy? I'm curious. Scott America. Nope. I can see the wisdom in it. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, it, it's the, it's their biggest defensive acquisition of the offseason, and it's going to pull it's going to pull that defense together, and it's it's gonna it's gonna knit together the front and the secondary because we don't know what Grant Delpit is going to be yet. And as Doug mentioned, he got great value for him. That's a really nice price for that level of a safety. And he brings so much leadership. Uh, so uh, I, I can I can make a, a strong case for this. I think it's a good pick at number one. I felt weird about putting a guy number one who we were kind of projecting going forward. I mean, all the signs point to this being a great move. And we know all the things he can potentially give the defense. And you have to go back to like, you have to go back like a decade, maybe to TJ Ward to find a safety on the Browns who has been as consistently, well, has been as good across the board as Johnson's been, but even uh, Ward wasn't as consistently good as Johnson. And I don't think he could give you as much all over the field that Johnson can do. Whitner might be another guy who's in that category too, but neither of those guys were, you know, had that consistency that John Johnson's had. So yeah, it's a big deal, but I did not have him number one. Yeah. I mean, there's a chance that John Johnson could end up being your, second or third best defensive player uh, this season. And the two in front of him aren't eligible for this draft, Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward. So, you know, in that case, I, I mean, I think it's fine to take him number one. He's not the guy I had number one, but it just speaks to how important this signing was. And Doug, you mentioned the value. They didn't necessarily pay top dollar for him. Now they paid a lot of money, but they didn't pay like, what, what some other safeties we've seen recently who have re-signed with their teams maybe have gotten. So I, I think it's a really good, if we're doing bang for the buck, that, that definitely puts John Johnson in, in play here at number one. So I'm going to go with number two, and this is the guy that I actually thought Doug was going to take. And this is the guy that I had on top of my list and he was expensive, but he lived up to the price they paid him. I'm going to go with Jack Conklin. This kind of falls in line with what I think Doug was talking about, a guy that is an obvious need fit. He certainly stabilized that offensive line, which was the strength of this offense, those five guys. He was Andrew Berry's kind of first big addition. And I just think he lived up to everything he was supposed to be. When he was on the field, he was really good, was kind of the forgotten guy in that line. But he, he was the guy that I had number one on my board. If I would have had the number one pick, I would have taken him number one overall. Can I just yeah. say it speaks to my belief in John Johnson that I did not pick number one, my team MVP, Jack Conklin. So <laughs> that is that is where I am with the Johnson move because I can't disagree with anything you said about Conklin, Dan. I mean, I was shocked he didn't take him, Doug. Honestly, I was fl- I had him at the top of my list. And I'm like, if Doug gets the number one pick, he's gone. I had Jack number one. Uh, I had Jack Conklin number one as well. Uh, but I, I, you know, actually Jack Conklin was last year's big free agent acquisition. And John Johnson was basically the defensive version of Jack Conklin for them. The guy they targeted number one overall, uh, the one that they kind of had to have in free agency and everything else was just kind of a bonus after that. So no matter how you put these guys, I think they had to be 
one and two. So, you know, I, I don't think it's shocking that these guys went this way. A little surprising, Doug, that you put John Johnson ahead of Jack Conklin. But still, these guys needed to be one and two, in my opinion. He was a first team all pro. I think that a good part of the resume to get him up there at number one. Plus, the Browns led the league in yards around right end, and Conklin had a big had a lot to do with that, obviously. I mean, I, I was really shocked that you didn't pick him, but uh, I did have Johnson second on my list right behind him, and it wasn't like I put Conklin there automatically at number one. I had to think about it for a minute. I, I had Johnson second, too, and I think this – listen, if we do this again at the end of next next season and – we're still having these guys, number one, number two, Mary Kay, you said it. These were sort of the two big additions. These are sort of equivalent. You know, this is the guy they targeted. They went and got him with both of these guys. Those are big wins for Andrew Barry that, that we're still elevating those guys to the top of the list. And I do think it's, it's, we are acknowledging this, that just because a move is obvious doesn't mean it's not a great move. It's like, oh, they need a tackle. Oh, there's a all pro right tackle available. Oh, they went and got him right away and paid him a ton of money, but they got him and they filled a huge need and they made everything about their offense better because they went and got Jack Conklin. And I think sometimes, you know, we like to be smart. We like to try to be smarter than everybody. At least I do. And it's like, sometimes you, you try to not do the obvious, but you know, if somebody else say another team had just gone and got, all right, well, they wanted Jack Conklin, but somebody else paid him more and got him. And then like, what would they have done? I, I don't know. Like they would have had to do something at right tackle, but you kind of almost don't want to go there. So maybe perhaps I think I put Johnson first because Conklin cost a little more, but he was worth every penny. So like what, who cares what he cost? So here's where it gets interesting now, because it seems like we were all sort of <laughs> in the same spot on one and two. Mary Kay, who are you taking with the third pick? You know, I'm going with Jed Wills here. Uh, because I think he was such an important position for the Browns. He was their number 10 overall pick in the draft last year. Uh, they had to have a left tackle. You know, they had kind of a choice. They could have gone out and signed a Trent Williams for a lot of money, but instead they built for the future. They went with Jed. Uh, he had a, a really good, solid rookie year without any offseason. Uh, I think that they, those guys did a tremendous job of acclimating him uh, to this offense. I think he really held his own and exceeded expectations in some ways. He's got a lot of upside still, but you had to have this spot. It was vitally important. He's my number three. I was really curious to see where Jed Wills landed with everybody. So, so I'm glad we're, we're kind of to this point now already. I, I was really curious to see where everybody had Jed. I had him third. So okay. this worked out good for me. <laughs> and I agree with what, <laughs> what Mary Kay said. Uh, I mean, you remember this time last year or just free agency in general last year and people talking about what we're going to do, whether they're going to do a left tackle. And then you're going into the draft thinking they got to get one of those top four guys and who's it going to be. And everything was built around trying to end the mess that they had since Joe Thomas retired and they finally did it. And nobody worried about left tackle last season. That, that makes the move a big deal. So I did not have him as high and I'm going to go against everything I just said about the obvious moves and don't take the obvious moves for granted. We could have made this pick, right? That like they needed a left tackle. There were a bunch of good left tackles available and they picked one. And the reason I had him sixth on my list. And the reason I had him sixth is not because he's not good and not because he didn't fill a need, but you know, I was writing before the draft, they should take Andrew Thomas and Andrew Thomas went four and was like the worst of the rookie tackles. Right. But 
they took Wills ahead of Makai Becton, and like Makai Becton was really good as a rookie. They took him ahead of Tristan Wirfs, and I know Wirfs played at right tackle for the Bucks, not left tackle. He was awesome as a rookie. I'm not saying they should have taken Wills instead of those guys, but there were a lot of ways, I think, to get this right. We all saw it. There was a little bit of a convergence here that was circumstance. Now, you still have to take advantage of it, and there maybe would have been Brown's front offices in the past who would have stared down a huge need at left tackle with a bunch of good left tackles available and taken a receiver, right? Like we can't take the obvious for granted, but like, are we sure they took the best tackle? Like would Becton now I was a little worried about Becton more as a boomer bus guy. He was like the best player on the jets last year. Wasn't he like, that's all I'm saying here. Uh, It's a good move. I'm not sure it's special because I think there are a lot of ways to get it right. And I'm not sure, given who was available, that it was a home run. It's it's a trip, right? I mean, it's a triple, but maybe they could have taken the guy who's going to wind up being a little bit better. But that's not a criticism of Jed Wills or Andrew Berry. I think this makes the bang for the buck discussion, though, interesting, too, because we're talking about a draft pick, a left tackle. Mary Kay, you mentioned how much Trent Williams cost. This guy's on a rookie deal here for the next you know, three years. And then he's got that fifth year option. His cap number this year is four, just under $5 million, actually 4.4 in 2022. It's 5.3 in 2023 it's 6.2. And then that fifth year option would, would balloon a little bit, depending on kind of what he does and what accolades he gets over the next few years. But I, I think the bang for the buck discussion comes in a little bit here too, Doug, because you're paying at a premium position with the rest of this line, pretty expensive outside of Wyatt Teller. You're paying, not a premium price for a guy at a premium position who still has that upside to be really good. I agree. I'm just sort of wondering if they should have taken Becton or Werfs instead. And if that factors in or not, but like rookie left tackle bang for the buck, you're a thousand percent. Right. Well, you know what? The jury is going to be out on that because uh, you're talking about a player who had to make a transition from right tackle in college to left tackle in the NFL. And that's hard to do. He admitted that it was going to be hard to do. So I don't think we necessarily have seen the best of Jed Wills yet. And I do think that the jury is going to still be out for a couple of years on how those guys work out. And you're right, Doug. He could end up being the third best tackle drafted in the NFL last year. But I don't think we know that yet. I think with another year or two being coached up by Bill Callahan and certainly in his second year at left tackle, he should be much better uh, because I think he was still developing that muscle memory that it takes to play on the other side of the field. So we shall see. But I thought just in terms of getting the guy that you need and nailing down that position for the next 10 years or so needed to be at number three. I don't think we can definitively say right now that Beckton's better than, than Will's he was better as a pass blocker last season and Wills came out of college known as being really good against in blocking uh, in the run game. He just, he didn't perform to the level everybody expected him to with that. That doesn't mean he can't get there. So I don't think it's a case of they drafted a guy who was really good at pass blocking, but he was going to be, he was going to need a little work in the run game. That's not what Wills was. I don't know that I would definitely say Becton's better and we don't know what worse would have been at left, at left tackle. I mean, I, I, I feel confident with having wheels out of those four, uh, you know, even after how everybody performed last season. Uh, part of what I'm trying to do is imagine like, what if I had, what if, 
I was Andrew Barry. Could I have made the move that Andrew Barry did? And I don't know that I could have gone out and like identified John Johnson, targeted him, got him for that price, signed him early, made sure I got him. I don't know that I could have, even with spending a lot of money. Am I sure I could have gotten Jack Conklin? The draft is just like, well, the guys don't have a choice. They come to you. And I think I, you fan who's listening, given the way things went, with the way the draft fell, probably could have drafted a pretty good rookie left tackle for the Browns last year. Again, that's just, it's like a twist on why I had it six. Cause I think there are five moves ahead of it that took a little more ingenuity from Andrew Barry, which is sort of a little bit of my factor. So when we get to your guy that you would have put at number three, you can let us know. I, now's probably not the time to do that, but I would be interested to see who you obviously had ahead of him. If I was Brown's GM, I would have, I would have been able to target Johnson because I'd have a pro personnel department scouring the NFL looking for people. <laughs> That's how it works. And, and you know what? And, and again, I, I do think that we, we don't 100% know yet if I don't think it's easy to pick a left tackle. That is why I actually advocated Trent Williams last year. And I know it would have been a boatload of money. And therefore, you would have had to really uh, be very judicious in other ways with your spending uh, because of it. But I think it's hard to pick a left tackle. It's really, really difficult. And we shall see over the next three, four years who really got it right. And, you know, maybe they'll all be sort of in the same vicinity, but I, I think it was tough. Let's move on. Scott, you're up. Man, this is where it's tough for me because after those first three, I was like, eh, there's some people I'm grouping together. I'm going to go with Ronnie Harrison, though. Uh, I think that was a really important pickup because of the state that the Brown safety position was in last season with the, the injury to Delpit. And then, you know, as the season went on, just players underperforming pretty much across the board. Harrison ended up being the second highest graded defensive player on the Browns last season. They gave up a fifth round pick for him. The, the Browns were going to get a fifth round pick last year who was going to step in and, and be what he was, obviously. So I think he just seemed like, it was close. It was between him and a couple others, but I just, I moved him up there because of his impact and the fact that now after picking him up, they go into this season. I know they added John Johnson, but Harrison's a big part of, of, of what they can be at the back of that defense, his versatility and, and the high level that he played at last season is a huge part of, I guess, the expectations of that group. I had this higher than the Wills pickup for exactly what Scott just said. I had this fifth on my list because I thought this was some unique GM ingenuity. You have a, an injury happen that you didn't expect. You have to go fill that and you fill it by getting a guy who now becomes part of your future. And all it cost you was a fifth round pick. Like it was sort of a, a move of des The situation was desperate. Like they needed help. But the answer was not desperate. The answer was smart and long-term and great value. So again, the idea of could every GM have done what Andrew Barry did in getting Ronnie Harrison for this price at that time with the kind of player he is, I think that was a more difficult move to make. So I think this is a good pick. It was my fifth overall. Yeah, I, I had him as my fifth overall as well. I think it was a great pickup. It was one of the best trades that was made in the NFL last year. I mean, that's a great bargain for Ronnie Harrison to get him for a fifth round pick. And if everything works out the way that it should, he will be part of this three man safety rotation, which they will use a lot this year. So, you, you know, obviously you'll have John Johnson, Grant Delpit, 
Ronnie Harrison. That's a pretty darn good safety trio right there. A lot of a uh, lot of versatility for those guys. The ability uh, to grab some interceptions, basically to kind of do it all with those three. And I they're I think they're in great shape at the safety position if Grant Delpit can come back healthy. This could be one of those situations where that that Delpit injury, and I'm sure he wouldn't say this, but that Delpit injury for the Browns could end up working out a little bit in their favor because they added a really good player to, to sort of fill in for that, a guy they had sort of been keeping their eye on and then they were able to get. And that fifth-round pick, you gave up a fifth-round pick, the guy is still cheap. I mean, like you mentioned, it's got the bang for the buck. It's hard to argue with this one. So our first round goes John Johnson, the third, number one to Doug. Jack Conklin was my pick. Jedrick Wills was Mary Kay's pick. Ronnie Harrison was fourth. We were all sort of on the same page on a lot of those with the exception of, of Wills. And even that, we weren't that far off from – from your board, it doesn't sound like Doug. So go ahead and give us pick number five, the first pick of the second round. All right. So I would like to pause the draft for a moment to have a Ooh. discussion about someone that we said we're not going to pick. But I actually, as I, I realized, uh, as I'm talking about my picks, I have a guy as the number two move that actually does not qualify. So when I say that Wills was my number six, he was actually my number five. When I said Harrison, my number five, he's actually my number four. Because I think Andrew Barry's second best move was keeping a guy that he easily could not have kept or didn't have to keep, right? Unless I'm screwing this up. And I understand why we're saying that doesn't count. But if a guy is a free agent or has the chance to leave, right, and go out and you keep him, you have to do something to keep the guy. So it's cool that we're not counting this, but if we were – my number two move behind John Johnson would have been keeping Kareem Hunt at the price they kept him at. And I, when, when John Dorsey brought in Kareem Hunt, I wrote a column and I had some issues about like, listen, okay, like you're getting a guy who's only available because of an off field issue that needs to be taken seriously. And it's not like you're brilliant. It's not that you're some great scout. It's that you're willing to take a risk that other teams are saying, no, it's not worth it. So like, are we sure this is what we want the Browns to be? So that was then. And I understand that we're past that, but that move was different to me. The decision to bring him in at all is different than the decision to keep him in my mind. So Dorsey chose to bring him here and how much credit or risk or however, that, that's not what I'm talking about. Once he's here and he's doing the right things and he's in the locker room and you feel good about him and he is helping your team win, that they kept him here at the price they kept him at. And now we see how important this running back duo is to the Browns. I think it, I mean, it wouldn't have been a shock if Kareem Hunt was just like, well, okay, he's, I don't know. Maybe I'm screwing up the keeping here. Maybe I'm misinterpreting the keep, but he's really important. And didn't Andrew Barry have to do something? to make sure he stuck around or am I screwing that up? No, no, you're right. That, that If we want to include this as a move, I wasn't thinking of him per se. I was mostly going towards, for the most part, new acquisitions, but I've got a guy on here that isn't a, you know, a new face. Uh, so why you can put him here. I don't know. What, what no. do you guys think? Well, it's not really about my ranking. I'm fine not ranking him, but like, do you guys agree sort of with what I'm saying that that, Maybe it doesn't fit our parameters, but that was a good move that was not necessarily 100% of a slam dunk guaranteed that it would happen, that Andrew Barry sort of had to do something to make it happen? Well, I mean, I, I think that 
yes, he had to do something to make it happen. He had to re-sign Kareem. It had to make sense. And yes, he had to actually make that happen. And I think what he did was very creative with the contract. He made it an incentive-laden contract that protects the club in ways that we don't even really know for sure. There are some things in the contract uh, that really protect the club in the event that things go awry sort of off the field. So he did have to be very, very creative in how he drew this up. And it did keep Kareem Hunt here. So again, even though it didn't necessarily fit the the parameters of of what we kind of set out to do, I don't think there's any reason why you shouldn't put him here at number five. I just wanted to talk about it. I'm curious what Scott and Dan just like think about the move and then we can decide whether I officially drafted or not. But do you guys think that was like a big time move? I think it was important to extend him. I think when it, when we start looking at the contract extensions given out maybe by, by this time next year, it won't be, it won't be among the top ones we're talking about, but clearly his presence had a big impact on Nick Chubb's performance. And we've talked all last season about how, you know, rotating those guys led to some big runs in the fourth quarter and nobody else, you know, has a better quote unquote backup running back than the Browns. So, so yeah, it was definitely important. I just didn't consider it as part of this draft. I thought it was a good move, but I don't think it counts for this draft. Okay. I'm fine with that, but I thought it was a good discussion to have because Andrew Barry, Dan, you think like Andrew Barry deserves some degree of credit for something like that, even though it doesn't fit our parameters. Right. I mean, the decisions to extend guys are important decisions that GMs have to make. So you're not always going to be, especially here in Cleveland, you're not always going to be the guy that drafts somebody or signs somebody, but you have to make the decisions on when to extend somebody. And that those are important. I mean, Andrew Barry got a deal done with Miles Garrett. And that that's a no brainer, like we've mentioned before, but he got that extension done and he's going to have a bunch of extension decisions to make this offseason with guys he was either involved in drafting or not involved in drafting. And those are very very important decisions that GMs make. We're still not, count. still not including that in the draft. All right, I'm fine. All right, so now here's my actual pick. And so as it turns out, we were in agreement on Johnson and Conklin at the top. And so then the two moves then that I ranked ahead of the Wills move was Ronnie Harrison was one, and the other one was this move, and it's Troy Hill. And it's because Troy Hill is two things at once. He is Greedy Williams Insurance, he is a better, better nickel corner than Kevin Johnson was last year. I know we haven't seen what he can do with the Browns, but we have seen what he can do as a player. And I think, again, it threads a needle in a way that, you know, it was like, well, this is the kind of player that they need. I don't know that there's a million players like that out there, but they got the guy who fits the thing, who's half outside corner, half slot corner, and it fills a need, and I think he's going to be good. So I thought that was a, a, a more difficult move. And again, value. Mary Kay, as Mary Kay has reported on the contract, better value than the first number that came out with what they got. So he then overall, with Hunt out of the mix, my list is Johnson 1, Conklin 2, and this Troy Hill move, number 3. I had Hill lower, and it, it's not because I don't like the move, and, and it's not because I don't think he can be good. I just had it a little bit lower. I mean, you see, he's a guy that I had on my free agency list, you know, so he's obviously a guy who's keeping my eyes on as, as somebody that can play that inside and outside. I just think this is the type of signing. And, and look, maybe he'll plays really well and he's here for a few years, whatever. I think he turns 30 years old this year. But I think we should expect this type of signing every single year. They're going to try and find a guy that can play inside, outside, 
can, can kind of be that versatile corner. And I feel like we're going to see this sort of over and over again with this front office as they address this secondary. But that being said, I, I really liked the signing and I did have him pretty high up on my list. I just didn't have him here. I had one spot lower. I had someone else ahead of him, but he is one of three guys in my top 10 who have yet to actually play for the Browns. So yeah, there's, there's tons of value there and, and potential and they obviously needed to upgrade that position because what they had last season uh, wasn't great. <laughs> and getting to the depth of that position was really bad. They just, they had guys playing in the slot who, who should have been on special teams and that's probably it. And Hill hopefully uh, puts an end to that. And he's definitely an upgrade over Kevin Johnson, just from the simple fact that he's played at, the, at, a, at a high level more than just one season. You know, Kevin Johnson was coming off a really good year in Buffalo and it just didn't duplicate here. Uh, Troy Hill has a little better background than that. So I do agree that he gives him, gives them more options to agree. Williams doesn't come back, uh, but I did have one player just ahead of him who actually played last season. I had him a little bit lower, I think because I'm putting more of a premium on drafting players. I think in part, because I think that's where you need to make your hay. I think you need to be able to draft well in order to stock your football team. That's where you want to be able to uh, get the, uh, get the contracts that are, are right for your team and that you're not having to go out and spend a bunch of money in free agency. If you're drafting really, really well. So I put, a number of draft picks ahead of Troy Hill. I think the other thing is I have a, maybe a little bit of a bias against uh, some of the guys that we haven't seen play yet in this particular defense, in this circumstance. I'm very curious to see how both John Johnson and Troy Hill fare when they're not surrounded by all the all pros and all the talent that they were surrounded by in Los Angeles, I'm sure they're both going to be just as good as they were there, but that was one heck of a defensive front playing in front of them. I mean, unbelievable. And other guys like Jalen Ramsey playing around them. So therefore I want to see how they function. I think in this defense before I'm, I'm ready to bump them up a bunch uh, ahead of a bunch of other guys right now. Wait, there's a headline. Mary Kay is biased against new Browns. <laughs> we, we are getting to a point a little bit where we're kind of running short on guys who have done a ton as right. a Brown, right? Cause Andrew Barry's only had one draft. So right. I'll be curious. I think your point is well taken Mary Kay, but I'll, I'll, I'm very curious to see where some of these other draft picks start slotting in. Right. Well, I'm going to take a guy that we haven't seen play for the Browns yet who has been around on the roster for a little while. And I, this is where I'm going to take Grant Delpit. Um, I, you know, obviously I'm, I'm banking this on what I thought of the pick back when they made it, what I thought he was going to be this year, what I thought he was supposed to be in this defense, what Joe Woods basically told us he was supposed to be in this defense. So here's a guy that we haven't seen plays coming off an Achilles that that's concerning. You know, I've said, I've said it before. I think a, a guy at his age is a little more likely to be able to bounce back from an Achilles as opposed to like an Olivier Vernon, who's on the wrong side of 30 now. You know, older guys tend to have a little more trouble with that injury. I'm pretty confident in Grant Delpit getting back and being close to the player the Browns envisioned when they took him in the second round. So I'm going to take him here. I actually had him third on my board, so I had him pretty high up, and I'm going to take him here with the sixth pick. I, I just I'm really excited to see what Delpit can do in this defense, especially now that he's got some more guys around him. 
we really have high expectations for the secondary in 2021, <laughs> don't we? Uh, yeah. I had him at seventh, um, right behind Troy Hill. And I mean, again, for all the reasons that we like John Johnson, but maybe with a little less of the uh, more, I guess a little more of the unknown simply because he hasn't played in the NFL yet. And he's coming off the injury, but yeah, Delpit uh, has the potential to let the defense do a lot of things they weren't able to do last year. And he definitely deserves to be on this list. I had Delpit really high too, Dan. Once again, I think I, I had, I put a premium on, on these draft picks because if, if Andrew Barry can nail a Grant Delpit in the second round, that's a hell of a pick there. Uh, you expect your high picks, especially your first and second rounder to be, to come in pr- pretty right away as rookies and start for you. I think the expectations for Grant Delpit are high. Of course, you might have to change those, alter those a little bit now that he's coming off a ruptured Achilles tendon. Nobody really knows for sure how a guy is going to play coming off of an injury that severe. That's a, that's a tough one to come back from. But assuming he comes back strong from it, uh, I had him actually as number four. All offseason and all season, we talked about the value that Grant Delpit is expected to bring to this defense. Now, John Johnson takes some of the pressure off of that, takes a little bit of the edge off because he is going to be able to fulfill some of those roles that were set forth for Grant Delpit. And I think part of John Johnson is insurance against Grant. And I think that was important. Uh, but if he is everything that he's cracked up to be, I mean, a second, a second round pick is, is a really, should be a really, really good, a pro bowl player. Really technically you want that guy to be a pro, a pro bowl player. So I had him very high at number four. This is the hardest guy, right? Because like, if you're sort of like, well, we haven't seen some of the free agents play for the Browns. It's like, we've never seen Grant Delpit play a snap in the NFL. So we all are, I think, are in agreement on the expectation and the potential. I'm always torn sometimes. This guy's a first round talent who, if he had come out the year before, would have been a first rounder. He didn't have a good, as good of a last season in college as he did the year before. You know, Greedy Williams was another guy I think that people thought might have been a first round pick, fell to the second round. Sometimes it's like if you're a first round talent that falls to the second round, are you a genius as a team for like grabbing the value? Or is there something that there's a reason why the guy was maybe viewed one way and didn't go as high? And now you're the guys who took the risk on it. So I think Delpit is really hard. But the thing that I have been comparing him to all year, and a lot of people have, is that he was taken one pick ahead of Antoine Winfield Jr., Those are two safeties in the second round. Antoine Winfield Jr. was one of the best players for the Super Bowl champs. If Grant Delpit had given the Browns, you know, anything close to what Antoine Winfield Jr. gave Tampa this year, he'd be number one on this list. A second round pick who's like one of the best players on a playoff team, that's unbelievable. And I don't think it's unreasonable to think he could do that. But yet he hasn't played a snap and he's coming off a severe injury. But how do you... The, the pick, the acquisition has nothing to do with the injury. It's really hard. I had him seventh. I think this is right here, but it's just, it's the most complicated guy when you're trying to evaluate the actual acquisition of him. Okay, Mary Kay, who do you have here? Your second pick, the third pick of the second round. Well, this goes, uh, it flies in the face of how I ranked him in an earlier, in an earlier draft uh, that we did this offseason, but I'm putting Austin Hooper here at number seven in part because uh, he's a two-time Pro Bowl player. Uh, I, I think that, I think he will be better in his second year 
than he was in his first year for a lot of different reasons. Uh, I think that he and Baker will be better together. I think they'll know how to use him better. I think he'll be just more acclimated to the scheme. And I think there's way more to him uh, than what he showed last season. So I think it's a good pickup. You have to have this guy to run the two and three tight end schemes that you're running. You don't know how long you're going to have David Njoku. Who knows if he'll even be around this year? He probably will be, but that's not a given. So you had to have him a good pickup. I actually don't think 10 and a half million is, is that crazy if he lives up to some, you know, somewhat of his Pro Bowl potential going forward. You are absolutely killing me, Mary Kay. You are absolutely <laughs> killing me. You're saying you're going against what you said on an earlier pod about him. I ranked him 14th because I listened to what you said on an earlier <laughs> pod. I'm like, well, Hooper, that was kind of a big deal when they got him. But Mary Kay said he was like the most overrated. He was the most disappointing guy in the roster. I can't have him in the top 10. Mary Kay will kill me. I have him 14th. I have him behind like ninth round picks. And Mary Kay swoops in in the second round. <laughs> Sorry Mary- about that. Mary Kay was just playing a long game. She knew this was was coming down the road. She was just setting you up. So Hooper would be there for in the second round. I really was curious where Hooper was going to land, especially when you throw in the bang for the buck element of it, because he is, he did get so much money. Tight end is a weird position. And and as I've looked into it more, you get past that Kelsey Kittle, you know, some of these really highly paid guys and you start to get into the range where Austin Hooper is, is getting paid. And there are some guys where it's kind of like, really, that guy makes that much money. So it's a weird position right now. I think monetarily, there's some arguments for him. He was the second, second most targets on the roster last year, you know, only 46 catches, only 435 yards. I do think he developed a pretty good rapport with Baker Mayfield in the, in the last month or so of the season, especially in the red zone, which I, I think is important. And if you're banking on maybe what he can do this season because of that rapport, maybe he's built up with Baker, then I, I could see it here. I wouldn't have taken him in this spot, but I, I was definitely curious to see where Austin Hooper would end up going. I had a hard time trying to figure out where to put Austin Hooper. I, I ended up putting him ninth, and I feel bad about that. I feel like that might be a little too high compared to other people and, and how we're deciding who goes where on this list. I the Browns value tight end more than most teams, uh, at least like as far as volume of tight ends <laughs> than, than most teams in the NFL. So I understand that they're going to go out and pay a lot to get a guy for that position. But I don't know. I Even as I look at my list and see him ninth, I just feel like that might be a little too high even. He wasn't the best tight end across the board for sure. There were Bryant was, was, was better at blocking and Yujoku was better as well. Hooper uh, as a run blocker finished below all of them. And it was, wasn't right below. It was quite a ways below. So you want your tight ends in this offense to be a big part of the run game. And I think that is an area where he needs to get better. I would not have drafted him as high as Mary Kay. And if I had come up with a ninth pick and everybody else had been gone, I might've skipped over him (laughs) and come up with my next guy because I would have felt bad about taking him ninth. But, but think about the fact that, in terms of this particular offense and trying to stock and build a roster for the coach that needs things to be a certain way for him to run his offense, you kind of had to get him a guy like this, especially because you kind of really didn't know where things were going to go with David. 
you didn't really know how things were going to work out right away with Harrison Bryant, although you liked him and thought he was going to be good. You know, they made him their second, uh, their second target after Jack Conklin last year, because Kevin Stefanski needs really good tight ends. So I think that's the reason that I put him up here. And again, I think that he is capable of, of more. And if he doesn't achieve that this year, then, then it's going to go down as, as a horrible signing. But I think that it should go better in the second year. I'm not convinced that an offense with Njoku, Bryant, and Carlson as your three tight ends is significantly better than Hooper, Njoku, and Bryant as your three tight ends in this offense. You think Steven Carlson is almost a replacement-level Austin Hooper that you could get by with it? No, I just think it's how, how they use that third tight end compared to how they use the first two. I just think this is a lesson for all of us on the power of Mary Kay's words. Because <laughs> if someone walking down the street said to me right now, what do you think, Austin Hooper? I'd be like, well, Mary Kay Cabot said he was. <laughs> it's like my analysis of the Browns, like 75% of my analysis of the Browns is just repeating what Mary Kay Cabot says. <laughs> so that's what I've been doing for like five years since I started writing anything about the Browns. And this <laughs> called me out. I got caught. You snookered me, Mary Kay. You <laughs> laid the trap and I got, I fell right into it. But don't you guys agree on some level that even though he did not do what we expected him to do last year, it was still an important signing and still could be important going forward. Some of what we're, we're grading these guys on are what they are going to do. If, we, if that weren't the case, then we wouldn't have John Johnson so high. We would not have Grant Delpit so high. We wouldn't have Troy Hill so high. So some of what we're doing right now is projecting what these guys are going to do in 2021. So I think that is part of the reason uh, why I put him here. Certainly, I still feel the way that I do about 2020. It was not worth the money. And it was the biggest, I thought, the, probably the biggest disappointment or one of the biggest disappointments of 2020, in part because of the five drops and things like that. But projecting into 2021, I think they're going to find a way to get more out of Austin Hooper. His signing had a lot to do with the timing. The unknown of Njoku, the unknown of what they could get in the draft. Yeah, they had, they had to make that deal, obviously. I would okay. like to revise where I have Austin Hooper on my list based on what Mary Kay has said. Now I'm moving, I'm moving him up. But the, I mean, the jury's obviously still out on him as well as many others. No, you make good points. You both can be true. Like what you said right. on the first podcast and what you're saying on this podcast are not mutually exclusive. Right. Thank you. Appreciate that. And, and, if, and if the Browns beat the chiefs, that fourth down caps that he made in that game makes him worth yeah. every single penny that, that the Browns. Made. Okay. Scott, who do you have here at the end of the second round? I have my fifth-ranked guy in this spot. What are we at? Are we at eight, nine? I don't know, but he's fifth on my list. Malcolm Smith. And I put him here because he ended up second in snaps among linebackers. He was someone that Andrew Berry had to go out and get when Mac Wilson went down. They didn't have anybody else on the roster who could do what he ended up doing last season. I think he was the 13th-ranked linebacker overall, and he was eighth in coverage. If you don't have Malcolm Smith at linebacker for third downs last year, who do you got? You know, it took a long time for Mac Wilson to get on the field. And when he finally did, he didn't perform very well. Uh, Taki Taki's not your coverage linebacker. Jacob Phillips, not your coverage linebacker. So I think Malcolm Smith 
signing was huge. And obviously re-signing him this year shows that they, they still value what he did. I mean, they've ended up getting one of the best seasons of his career out of him. And that's why I had him fifth. I, I actually had him fifth too. And, wow. and had, Grant Delp, Both, okay. had Grant Delp been off the board, I might've, I might've snagged him earlier. I, I don't know. But yeah, I, I actually had him pretty high up on my list. Uh, you know, I could move a couple guys around here or there, but yeah, I had Malcolm Smith pretty high. And I think it's worth noting he's back. I, I think that matters. That tells you what the Browns thought of him last year and, and what he meant to this linebacking core that they decided to, to bring him back for another season. One of those one-year deal guys, you know, BJ Goodson's not back. <laughs> you know, there's other guys that aren't back on those one-year deals and they obviously valued what he brought to this team. So yeah, I think Malcolm Smith, Again, that bang for the buck thing, right? Based on what they're paying him to, he, he gave you really good production for what you paid him, and now you're bringing him back again at a pretty low cost. Yeah, I mean, you had to have him. You had to have him, and he did a great job in coverage. He was the guy that you needed, and the, this is one of those uh, go out and find a role player that you really need, and he comes in and he does a great job for you. That's the kind of thing uh, that the New England Patriots do really well. It's what the Bill Belichicks of the world can do they go out and they find that guy and they pay him a nominal fee and he goes out and and plays hard for you so i i think this is a good spot for him i didn't have him this high because i always forget about malcolm smith i don't know why (laughs) (laughs) i i always forget about you know just the value that he brought last year but he he deserves to be here I thought like, oh, Malcolm Smith, like that's an underrated signing. People forget about that. I'm going to make sure I have him high enough. And I had him 11th. And now you guys have him fifth. And I'm like, you know what? 11th is is too low. So, I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying. It is, it's the kind of guy that fills a need. And when they got him, right, it was like, hey, they thought they had their linebacker moves. He becomes available right before the season starts. They sign him and he plays a ton of snaps for a playoff team. Like that's a good in the moment, pounce on a guy who's there kind of move. So I'm realizing that I think eighth is about right. I would maybe push maybe fifth that you guys had him as a little high to me, but 11th on my part is too low. Hey, it's Dan. We're going to take a quick break and I'm going to tell you about Football Insider where you can subscribe to get exclusive access to stories on cleveland.com slash Browns. You also get a newsletter every single day with exclusive content that's written by Mary Kay, Scott, Ellis, or me. It goes right to your inbox. That stuff doesn't show up anyplace else on the site. You get that every single day, including on the weekends in your inbox. That's just for our Football Insider subscribers. And then there's our texting where Mary Kay, Scott, Ellis, and I will text you throughout the day with news and analysis. We do Q and A's. We answer questions. We have opportunities to come on the podcast and make picks. We do round tables, all sorts of fun things with our texters. And we're going to start putting together some stuff for you to enjoy here in the off season. So all you need to do is go to cleveland.com slash Browns. There's a big blue banner at the top of the page. Click on that banner, get all the information you need, get yourself signed up and get yourself access to all of that exclusive content that we have available only for our football insider subscribers. All right, let's move on to round number three. Doug, get us started. All right, so I'm going to pick, there's a guy that I can't wait to talk about that I want to throw out here as like my sneaky, aha, I have a thing here that are people thinking this or not, but there's a guy I have ahead of him still that I think I have to be the guy to take him. It's Tack McKinley. I'm bigger on this move than anybody else. I think it makes a ton of sense. I think it's good value. I think there is upside. I think I, I'm not trying to pretend that he is Carl Lawson, but I think there are going to be defensive end moves this offseason that teams paid a lot more money and are not going to get as much production out of Tack McKinley. 
I think it was the right, the, the kind of the right kind of guy, the right kind of money, the right kind of move. I think it has a very good chance to work out. Well, I understand why he hasn't gone yet. He was sixth on my list because I think it's going to work, but I know it is not a guarantee, but it's one of those things again, because we're evaluating like the move, right? So I'm not really arguing this, but I think there's a chance that like it doesn't work and it still was kind of like a good move. If you know what I mean? Like it's worth the risk and I'd rather whiff on him than pay $15 million a year for a guy. I think you might whiff on at edge rusher, which I think some other teams did this off season. So I'm taking tack McKinley at nine. I feel good about it. Okay. So I'm curious where everybody else had tack. I don't know that I was actually going to take him. You know, I have him on my list here. I don't know if I would have if I would have gotten there with, with him though. Uh, but I'm curious where everybody else had him. He was another one that I had trouble figuring out where to slot him. I ended up putting him 13th. Maybe that's too low. I I just had more confidence in the potential of guys like Delpit and Hill and Johnson who haven't played more so than McKinley right now. Not to say he can't be productive for the Browns or he won't be good, but uh, I just put their potential uh, quite a ways ahead of where he is. And then, you know, obviously guys who performed last year pushed him down as well. So, but he was one I had to think about for a few minutes. My last six guys, I don't have necessarily ranked numerically, but he was kind of in that last six for the exercise that we're doing in part, because I guess I just need to see him kind of come back and prove it and live up to all the things that he says he's going to do. But I, I, I agree with you, Doug, that, I mean, it, it's a good move. It's, it's a, just a low risk, low money move. You know, you try it out, you see how it goes and you're really not going to be out anything if it doesn't work the way that you want it to work. If it does work and he's your number two guy, it's a tremendous bargain. If he's number three and part of the rotation, it's still well worth the money. So nothing to lose here. Yeah. I mean, my view of the move is it, it doesn't prevent you from doing anything else. Right. And the upside, we've talked about the upside. If, if he hits that upside, then Andrew Barry looks like a genius with this move, but it also doesn't prevent you from, if you want to bring in Jadavian Clowney too, you can do that. If you want to draft a guy at 26, you can do that. Or if there's a guy in the second round, you want to draft, you know, I keep throwing out the guy from Houston. Uh, Peyton Turner is maybe a guy to keep an eye on in that second round that, that might need some development. Well, Tack can kind of sit there and play for a little while while, while that guy develops. It, it's a good move because there's upside and it also just doesn't prevent you from still addressing the position in other ways, if that's what you want to do. Okay, man, I've got some guys to choose from here with, with my pick. I am going to take Donovan Peoples-Jones here. Really low round draft pick. And he's a guy that came in and contributed and made some big plays for this football team, helped them win football games. And it's one of those things where you kind of look back and you see his final numbers. And if you just look at the final numbers, you're not blown away, but you remember plays that Donovan Peoples Jones made. Obviously you remember the Cincinnati play. You remember, was he the one that caught the deflection on the two point play against Baltimore uh, against Tennessee? He had the big touchdown catch after the drop. You just remember the impact Donovan Peoples-Jones had in the receiving game. And we're talking about a sixth round pick. So again, bang for the buck, Donovan Peoples-Jones checks a lot of those boxes. What, what pick is this? What number are we on? I am number, let's see, this is eight, nine, 10. 10. Okay. All right. I had him 11. So this is about where, where I had him too. Um, 
Yeah, I do agree that you got more than maybe you had initially expected out of him next season. Now, or last season, but next season, I mean, he, he could be MIA next season with everybody that the Browns brought back. He might not get those opportunities next season. Does that diminish his value at all? That, he was a hard one to place because he did have those big wild moments that you remember, but I don't know if we're going to see those kinds of plays or opportunities for him necessarily next season. I had him here at number 10. I had him right here at number 10. So I, I think this is a great pick right here. I think his upside is really good. I think they're going to find a way to get him on the field. And I think that we should all remember this, that if they need to play more three wides to get their, you know, some of their stronger personnel out onto the field and take advantage of the talent that they have, then they'll do it. And I just think he showed a lot of upside. I think he exceeded expectations and to be able to do that as a rookie, I think the future looks very bright. I mean, sixth round picks are sometimes like practice squad guys, right? Mm-hmm. And or, like, or they don't even make it or they get cut in camp. So like, that's the part of this that I don't know that he's like going to ever be a starter for the Browns. Right. But he might be, and he already helped them. And sometimes sixth round picks are literally nothing. And he is already somewhat significantly better than nothing, which is, that's my motto. That's what I tell people about me. I'm already significantly better than nothing. (laughs) So like that to me matters a lot. And like, I don't know, is there like a 10% chance that like, two years from now, he's like a thousand yard receiver. Like I, it's not, I'm not going to predict it. I don't think there's a, so for a sixth round pick, like that we are even having these conversations. I think I had him ninth, but he's already helped you. He's already helped you. How many sixth round picks in the history of the Browns have helped them? I don't know. I didn't research it. I bet you it's not very many. I bet you he might already be one of the best sixth round picks in Browns history. I don't know. Dan, you can take that story. That's for you, baby. Laying it right up there for you. <laughs> all these all these things we're saying right now, people were saying a couple years ago about Richard Higgins. He was a fifth-round pick near the end of the round, and he did a lot of things to help the Browns, and we all know what path he's been on. Peoples-Jones, if injuries did not occur, Peoples-Jones was not your kick returner last year. If injuries didn't happen, he hardly sees the field as a receiver last season. Him getting out there and performing is good. It's great for a sixth round pick. I just don't know with everybody coming back on offense if that role remains for him next season. Although, like I said, I did have him 11th. So, yeah, I, I don't know what he's going to be in 2021. I don't know how that uh, distribution is going to work out, but I just think what he did in 2020, I mean, he only had 20 targets the whole year. And it just, you know, again, it just felt like there was so much more of an impact. It just felt like he did with what little he got. Like he really did a nice job of maximizing that. All right, Mary Kay, you are up third pick in the third round. All right. There's a bunch of different ways that I, that I could have gone here, but cause I'm at that spot where, and I'm sure you guys are too, when you get to this point, there's five or six guys that you could kind of put anywhere around here. But the guy I'm choosing here is defensive tackle, Andrew Billings. Now, if he comes in and starts next year at defensive tackle coming off, he opted out for COVID last year. If he comes in and he's able to nail down that starting job and do the kind of job that he did for the Bengals in there, uh, he can be a really good player. Part of the rotation probably, 
maybe not necessarily an every down player, but he should get decent playing time next to Sheldon. Now they also have Malik Jackson that they'll, they'll rotate in. But if he comes back and is the, the guy that he was for the Bengals, I think this is a really good signing. I had trouble figuring out where to put him just because, again, we didn't see him last year. I feel like he's in some way sort of morphed into like Warren Sapp all of a sudden because he didn't play and everyone had these expectations for him. But I do think it was a really good addition last year. He was a guy that I actually really wanted to see in this defense before he opted out. I said I did not have him uh, ranked, at least uh, in, the, in the amount of rounds we're going to do here, but I, I thought about it. <laughs> I do think that if you hold him up against Ogan Joby the last few years, he has played better, although he's played not as – he hasn't had as many snaps, but he has performed better more consistently than Ogan Joby has. So in that respect, yeah, you could see an upgrade there, and then obviously uh, adding Jackson's a, a huge deal as well. So – the defensive tackle spot in general, I think is going to, is in a better position going into 2021 than it was, you know, week one last season, for sure. I only put so many guys here who haven't played for the Browns yet. And he just didn't make the cut. Yeah. there. To Scott's point, there are, there's like a trio here at defensive tackle. That's going to work together. I was curious to see how we all fit them together because we don't know much for sure about any of them, but I think the group, will make them better at that position this year. So I had him 13th. I think this is right in the correct range. Okay, let's move on to uh, our next pick, and that is Scott. Man, I got two guys. Actually, I got three guys on my list. I had McKinley 13th. I have three guys that have not been picked who are higher than him, and I can't believe I'm picking this guy. He was eighth on my list. B.J. Goodson, no longer on the Cleveland Browns, obviously, but – Again, for similar reasons that I mentioned for Malcolm Smith, uh, he was an important signing from the standpoint of you did not know what you really had at linebacker going into last season, or at least coming out of coming out of 2019. So they had to make a move to get a veteran in there, get somebody who could be the captain of that defense. You didn't know what you're going to get from Taki Taki or Mac Wilson. Jacob Phillips is a rookie. Uh, so I think it was important. He struggled early he got better uh, as the season went on and I think I, I, we did a comparison uh on gotta watch the tape and we'll be writing about this as well if you hold him up against Anthony Walker Goodson has performed better than Walker uh during their careers but they move on to a different guy I thought it was in hindsight it looked better <laughs> as a move than it probably did as we were going through last season I can't believe I had him eighth but that's where I got him I didn't rank him. And as I think it was Dan said it earlier, we have to get used to sort of Andrew Barry, free agent, veteran X, right? Those are going to be, they're going to have guys every year who are like this. And we saw there's a bunch of guys who were like that last year. Malcolm Smith was like that, except he was late. It wasn't really part of the plan. We, that I, they did okay on them last year. I actually think Andrew Barry, you're taking some shots in the dark and you're not going to hit them all. I think he could do a little better with some of those guys than he did. Goodson was among the best, but I do take into account that they replaced him after a year. And so like, I, and again, we had this discussion. It's like, well, they picked Walker over Goodson. So like, okay, I'm not saying they're always right, but that's where they evaluated this. You know, they weren't going to just have Sione Taki Taki and Mac Wilson be their linebackers last year. They were going to sign random veteran linebacker X who was going to play a lot of snaps. 
And BJ Goodson on the list of guys they could have signed, I guess he's fine, but I think it wasn't, I think they probably could have signed somebody else who would have done similarly. So he's kind of like generic to me. And of course they needed to make a move like this, but because he's generic and he got replaced, I didn't have him in my top 15. You're, you're, you're lying about how they could have signed someone else who could have done things similarly. I had Goodson rigged one spot ahead of Hooper. And that's kind of how I look at Hooper's season. Like, especially if Najoku's at the top of the list for the tight ends, I think he could have done things similarly to what Hooper did last season. That's kind of what I was thinking about, about Hooper, but the Goodson obviously fits that mold too. Oh, you said your line about he could have done something similar. I thought you your said insightful, your insightful comment. I'm sorry. No, I thought you said <laughs> you're lying. about. Oh. And I was like, oh, my God, Scott Pasco <laughs> has found his podcast voice. He is coming at me hard. He called me a liar about BJ Goodson. Oh, my God. You lie. <laughs> <laughs> um, BJ Goodson. Yes. You know what? I think they 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 thought about bringing him back this year. I think it kind of was sort of between Anthony Walker and BJ Goodson. And if they did bring him back, I think we would have all had him ranked higher than we did. I did not have him on the list because it was kind of out of sight, out of mind. But there, you know, he was again like Malcolm Smith. He was a guy that you needed, and he he played the run really, really well. He did some things for you that you, you needed him to do, including calling the defense. And I, I just think I would have felt differently about it if they would have ended up with him over Anthony. I, I was curious to see where we'd start getting guys who maybe were only here for a year, but obviously we're, we're a part of, you know, the most successful team the Browns have had since they came back. I, I was curious to see where the, some of those guys ended up. All right. Final round here, Doug, kick us off. All right. This is the guy I was excited to almost take last time. This is like my big thing. And I'm sure everyone will be like, oh, yeah, of course, Doug. Everybody knows that. Don't think you're special. (laughs) This is a guy who is a draft pick, a low-round draft pick, who I think maybe is going to be a starter for the Browns someday. And if you turn a low-round draft pick into a starter, then I think that's good. And I think when he got picked, he was a guy that people thought fit this team, fit Kevin Stefanski. And my pick is Nick Harris as a fifth round guy. When you think about the extensions they have ahead for some of these other guys, they can get off JC Treader for 1.6 of dead cap for 2022, or that's his last year. I think we all assume that when he got here, I know Nick Harris got in a little bit last year and maybe wasn't great, but I think between Treader and I am just a little skeptical about whether they're actually going to pay Wyatt Teller when the guard market starts getting set crazy and like this guy kind of came out of nowhere, they can't spend a gazillion dollars on their whole offensive line. I think it's very possible that Nick Harris starts for the Browns in 2022. And if you turn a fifth round pick and you nurture him for a couple years and prepare for him to be a cheap fill in and let expensive veterans go. So you can sign extensions for other expensive guys. That is how you keep a winning team rolling. So I'm assuming a lot with Nick Harris, but it feels like the plan. And I think when they drafted him, we all saw that plan. And I think it's still on track. I would not have taken him in this draft. You know, I get your logic. And 
look, I thought he was going to have a shot to win that right guard job last year. And then Treader gets hurt in camp and, and he ends up filling in for Treader at center most of camp. Yeah. I, but I thought you take this guy in the fifth round, you're not just taking him to, to sit him unless you have to. And then Teller goes out and wins that right guard job. So, you know, it's hard for me to argue with that logic. Again, I wouldn't have taken him. I don't know ultimately what he's going to be. I'm curious to see how they approach JC Treader moving forward, because I think he's a really important piece of that line and what he does. And again, that center quarterback relationship that him and Baker, and he's so smart and he fits really well in the middle of that offensive line, you know, as, as it starts to come up again, and he just signed that extension, what, two years ago. And, and I know, like you said, Doug, they can obviously, you know, move on at, at a cheap rate. Every contract in the NFL is a two-year contract, but I, I, I wonder how much they value J.C. Treader long-term still, even as he gets a little bit older. But I, I see the logic behind this pick completely. I, I didn't have him on my list as a guy to pick, but I see your logic behind it. How's that for a hot take? <laughs> <laughs> Call him a liar. Yeah, that's better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I didn't have him. I did not have him on my list either. I have no, I mean, you make good points. You make good arguments and if, you need to have a center. And if he turns out to be your center of the future, then it's going to be a great pick because I've just going back over covering the Browns all these years. So I always remember GM saying, you know what? Not a sexy pick, but you gotta have one. You gotta have that guy. So if, uh, if he turns out to be uh, the, the heir apparent to JC Treader, it's a great pick. I'm going, to, I'm going to use Doug's logic here. Anybody can draft a, a, a center in the fifth round is going to be your starter two or three years down the line, right? <laughs> I, I mean, he, I had B.J. Goodson, you had Nick Harris. I didn't have him ranked in my four-round big board here, but I do agree that he's clearly – he seems to be the heir apparent at center. Uh, I just think that's a little – projecting a little too far down the road to, to make my top, top rank. I mean, here. I think – do we agree that – so it's remarkable. They had a remarkable off. They had the best offensive line in the league last year, right? And they're bringing back the exact same guys. And they're going to have the best offensive line in the league in 2021. Do we all agree that they probably won't have the same five guys in 2022, right? That it's just going to be hard with the money they're spending and, and everything else that's going to be happening. Uh, that feels impossible to me. And so then, I, like to me, some of these guys, right? That And again, it is a projection, but we are we have ranked some guys who are not like full-time players, right? That are moves to get like sub-package guys and like, well, he's a backup to this. You know, the, the upside of Nick Harris, and I get your point, Scott. This is what good GMs do. You draft offensive linemen and you nurture them for a couple of years so you don't have to spend second-round picks on interior offensive linemen. But he has a chance to be, you know, like to me, I had him ahead of Donovan Peoples-Jones because I'm not sure exactly like what the path of Donovan Peoples-Jones is to like be a starter, to be like kind of an every down guy. I see the path for Nick Harris. Now, I don't know if he's going to get there. There's no guarantee he gets there, but at least I see the path. But to your point, Scott, that's what teams do. Lots of teams do that. Okay, here we go. I'm going to pick. Wait a with, minute. Uh, wait, wait, oh. Dan. Yeah, go ahead. Um, after you make I made a prediction on who I think you're going to pick here. So after okay. you pick, I'm going to hold up my sign and see if, and see if I got it right. right. Well, Wait, what, no, what number pick is this? this is I'm not keeping track of anything. 14. 14. 14. 14. Okay. 
I mean, I, I kind of feel like this is an obvious one. So I think you're going to get this one right. I'm going to take Harrison Bryant here. Did you, did you get it? Yeah. <laughs> HB. I have HB written down right here. I just, <laughs> that could mean anything. You might just have that sitting around your house, some piece of paper with HB written on it. Hathaway Brown. Yeah, just trying yeah, to figure out. Know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I don't know. I can't let this guy sit out here much longer. I, I know that he kind of uh, he kind of tailed off there in the second half of the season. I know he had some issues, some fumble issues, but I think what he showed us early in the season is that the Browns found a guy who can be productive for them. You know, a fourth round pick uh, can can do what they need their tight ends to do. So for me, it's it's I, I think it's upside with Harrison Bryant. I think there's more upside than downside right now still with this pick, and I think he's more of what we saw in the first half of the season leading up to that Cincinnati game than maybe what we saw in the second half. It also comes down to like, who else am I going to take here? I'm looking at my list and it's like, <laughs> I, I don't know. Who, who am I going to take over him? I, he's He's got to go at some point. He's got to be on this list. Yeah, I, I think he belongs on this list. I, I think this is, this is a good spot for him. I actually had him a little higher. I think that they really like him. And I think that uh, I think that they have pretty big plans for him, especially considering, I mean, whether or not they, they end up moving David Njoku, which I think I've said, in a few places, I probably would try still try to trade Dave Njoku because I would only want players on my team that are all in and want to be here. going to be harder to do now because the $6 million is guaranteed. But if I could find a way where we take your disgruntled guy and you take ours, I would still try to move him. So I think Harrison Bryant could play a larger role in 2021, depending on what happens. I had him 12th, uh, so roughly this area. I think his performance last season, I think, kind of devalues the whole Austin Hooper signing a little bit. It knocks it down a little bit because, I mean, tight ends don't hit the ground running in the NFL. It takes him a year or two, but he still he, – he was a better blocker last season than Hooper. And then he did make some plays in the passing game. He had his hiccups, but I think his potential is clearly there. And – having him on the roster, I think gives you some options when you look at what Hooper's going to be paid in 2022 and 2023, and obviously gives you options if you do want to move to Joku. So I think it was a really good rookie year for him. And, and there's, there's plenty of room to get better. And it's not because he was bad last season. It's because he clearly has talent to build on. I wasn't going to take him. I have a grudge against him. I'm pretty naturally uh, I, I, unreal, unfairly against him. He practically blew the season up with his fumble against Jacksonville. Like it, that is like, uh, there is a path of like, oh my God, they lost to the Jaguars. And like the season goes off the rails that I think is in, you know, 10% of alternate universes are out there. And it starts with him fumbling. And so I can't get over it. I had him 15th, but I wasn't going to take him. I didn't trust, you know, he's a rookie. I get it. He's a rookie, but after that, I couldn't trust him. All right, Mary Kay, you're up. I am going with, anybody want to uh, write something down first before I make my pick? <laughs> and see if you can guess. I, I'm, I'm writing it in my head. Okay. <laughs> Write it in your head. But how are we going to believe you? Because you're a liar. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Scott Pasco has ruined my reputation. <laughs> Okay, I am taking Jacob Phillips, linebacker, expected to, you know, 
got some significant playing time last year, expected to play a significant amount in 2021. Third round pick. I think this is I, I think this is the right spot for him for a player who I mean, I see him being on the field when they're in their base defense. And I also see him next year remaining on the field when they're in their sub defenses. I think he's got the speed and the range that they're going to be looking for. I think he'll be better next year. I think he'll take that sophomore jump. I think he can belong right here. I was wrong. See, I tell the <laughs> truth. That's not who I had in my head. Who did yeah. you have? Well, I'm worried he might get picked. Oh, I okay. I can't, I can't reveal. I don't want to give away the we'll, last pick. We'll, we'll revisit. Yeah. But Jacob Phillips, I did not have on my list. And again, because I am just, I go with the whims of what people around me say on got to watch the tape. We had a pretty long conversation and we're not exactly sure. So I'll let Scott talk. Not exactly sure. Like what the Anthony Walker signing means for Jacob Phillips and how much he'll play. So I think potential, a lot of potential there with the third round pick, but I was swayed by not being a thousand percent sure of exactly how he fits in the defense right now. Yeah, I didn't have him ranked either. And and what we talked about is how Jacob Phillips is BJ Goodson and Anthony Walker. He's the same kind of player. He excels the same kind of things. And BJ Goodson, I mean, the Browns could have looked at it as he's the one-year bridge and hopefully Jacob Phillips is ready to go year two. Well, Phillips didn't play at a level last season that said he's ready to go year two. So now you have Anthony Walker on another one-year deal. And maybe he's another bridge. So, you know, Phillips could be your guy in 2022 because that's the spot that that he should probably be in. I know the Browns want to cross-train all their linebackers, but clearly they have guys who excel at certain things. Nobody on this team is good at across the board and Phillips does is able to do the kind of things Anthony Walker is going to do for this team. And that BJ Goodson did for him the year before. I thought about Jacob Phillips there when I, when I took Harrison Bryant, but you know, I couldn't as, as Mary Kay. So obviously predicted, <laughs> I couldn't pass up on, on Harrison Bryant in that situation. But yeah. I thought yeah. about Phillips. I am curious to see where he fits in everything. You know, he wore the green sticker when, when BJ Goodson was out, I thought that was interesting last year, but now, you know, you go out and you add Walker, you've still got Taki Taki, you've still got Mac Wilson. I, I don't think Mac Wilson is going to play ahead of Jacob Phillips this year. But I, I, I do want to see kind of where he fits, you know, as, assuming he can stay healthy, which, which he struggled with a little bit last year, too. I, I think there's still a, a role for him. Just real quick, when you pick a guy in the third round, you want him eventually to become either a starter or a very key player. You got you to gotta nail those first three rounds. So he does have to kind of step up into a larger role this year, but I think he will. And I do think uh, that he's slated for uh, the base defense to, to be in there somehow and to be on, on the field in subs. All right. So before I get to my pick, the guy I thought Mary Kay was going to choose was Case Keenum. I had him last on my four round big board as a guy who they brought in, who, you know, obviously knows Stefanski uh, had been in Minnesota the veteran in the room for Baker. I think that was a kind of a, a low key. Well, it wasn't low key at the time, but one that maybe we don't think about as much, obviously, as the guys who have been out there all year. But uh, there was definitely worth in that move. The guy I was, I'm gonna I pick, was hoping I was hoping somebody was going to pick Keenum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I'm not picking him. I'm picking the guy who was tenth on my board. Who I'm, I'm guaranteeing you, no one else had on their board. I have Cody Parkey. He's going to be the last pick in this draft. And yeah. You go out, you get a kicker, and there's a million kickers 
the Browns had to make a move after Siebert had his issues. And they've had that kind of issue for a few years in a row where they just did not have stability. And they went out and got Parkey and he played pretty good. He had a little slump, but from week 15 or week 16 on, he didn't miss a kick. And, you know, that includes the playoffs. So, you know, they brought him back, which I think counts for something. Hey, he's the last pick in our draft here, but I think uh, we should not forget about the kicker. Well, I will, I will tell you this. Had things played out a little differently with some other picks, Cody Parkey was on my board. I had him 13th. But I just had some guys ahead of him that were still around when I was picking. So I had Cody, I, I had Cody on my board. Did Doug and Mary Kate, did you have Cody on your board? I did not have Cody on my board. Scott makes such a compelling argument for him. Now I, I feel like I should have, have had him on my board because when you make all of your kicks in the postseason, that counts for something. He made all 11 of his kicks in the postseason. That's pretty darn good. That's when you need your guy to rise to the occasion. So good for him for that. And, and I do think that that's a good pick here. I had Case Keenum on my board and I actually had him up kind of high for all those reasons that you mentioned, Scott. But, and even though I think he did bring a lot to the table and I think he helped Baker out in many, many ways, Baker is so durable that, you know, I just, I just don't know if the backup quarterback here is quite as important uh, as it might be for some other teams. And if he weren't coming back this year, I don't think it would be catastrophic. I think you could sign another backup quarterback and be okay. They're going to save some money in the future by not paying their backup quarterback nearly as much as they're paying Case Keenum. I think it made sense to get him and pay him now, but now that Baker's figured it out and is around, they can, they can get a younger or cheaper guy to do that. Are we, is everybody like 100% confident in Cody Parkey? Not Are going you 100% forward? confident in any kicker? Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, but I think probably are there how many confident, how many kickers are there in the league where you would say like you're a hundred percent confident, maybe eight, 10. And I'm not trying to pretend I know who the best kickers are, but I bet you there's some, right? There's some guys who have been with their teams for a long time. I don't think he's one of those guys because the last team he was on, he murdered them in the playoffs. So... I think he's just like the kicker for now. And like, if he has two bad weeks, he might not be the kicker here anymore. So like, I didn't think at all about putting him on my list. Right. His, his time with the bears is the reason why that that's always in the back of your mind. And I bet that is the reason why so many people have a negative view of Cody Parkey. But as Mary Kay pointed out, look at what he did in the playoffs for the Browns. You know, it, it wasn't, he wasn't doinking things off the, off the goalposts uh, for the Browns in the playoffs. And I think, if you were, if, if you could put his past out of your mind and just kind of concentrate on what he did for the Browns, maybe that makes you feel a little better. But I do think that, look, they're going to have a bunch of people in camp as kickers, something they couldn't really do last year, but he'll have competition and, and maybe it's not Cody Parkey, but uh, I think making the move and, and getting a guy who came in and it was pretty darn consistent and obviously didn't miss in the playoffs. He deserves to be on our board. He, st- he stabilized it. I mean, look, if, if he would have come out in the AFC championship game with a kick to win, I would have been pretty nervous right up until he kicked it and, and it went through. But I, I, you know, like you said, Doug, Scott, you kind of made this point too. There aren't a lot of kickers out there. I mean, even Justin Tucker was missing extra points and, and things in, in the playoffs. So, you know, I think, I think he missed extra. I know he missed one or two kicks in the playoffs. 
so it, it happens and it can go fast with, with some of these guys. So I think Cody Parkey at least stabilized them for this season, if nothing else. And again, they did decide to bring him back. All right. I, I want to know this. Is there anybody that you guys had on your list that didn't get picked that you're surprised? Case Keenum was the guy that I had on my list. I was hoping somebody would take. Uh, he didn't go. I don't really see anybody else on here. I was curious if a guy like Jordan Elliott would go. Is there, is there anybody left on your list you're surprised is still there? I have two guys. Jordan Elliott's the guy that I thought Mary Kay might take when mm-hmm. I locked it in my head. He played more snaps last year than Jacob Phillips did as also a third round pick. I think he has a, he's going to be in that defensive tackle rotation. We also didn't take Malik Jackson that if we feel like Billings, Elliott Jackson sort of fill in a role here, we took one of the three. We didn't take the other two. I thought Elliott, Elliott was like, I think one of seven guys who played all 16 regular season games last year for the Browns as a rookie third round pick, which you know, I thought mattered a little bit. So I thought he could have gone. And then we took BJ Goodson, but we did not take the guy they signed to replace him, which is Anthony Walker. And I had Anthony Walker in my top 15 and I did not have BJ Goodson in my top 15. In my 14 and 15 guys were Claiborne and Walker. And I had Claiborne on the list. He was third in edge rushing snaps. And I think he was fourth in pressures for the Browns last season. And he's one of those bridge guys gets to the next season. He was depth, but he did contribute and he did produce. And now it's, you know, might be Tech McKinley's role, might be Port Augustine's role, but uh, he kind of snuck on there at the end, best of the rest. I had Anthony Walker on the list. Uh, I wasn't sure if Richard was somebody that, uh, you know, that we kind of counted or if he fell into the bringing, bringing a guy back. But I mean, I think he should have counted because, you know, they had to actually go out and sign him as a free agent. So I had him on my list. Yeah. So Walker, Malik Jackson, Jojo Natson. These are some guys that I kind of had as also wins. There we have it. So that is our draft of additions that Andrew Barry has made. Just to give you guys all a quick recap. Uh, Doug was our number one pick. John Johnson, the third also took Troy Hill, Tack McKinley and Nick Harris. I had the number two pick. I took Jack Conklin, Grant Delbert, Donovan Peoples-Jones, and Harrison Bryant, Mary Kay had Jedrick Wills, Austin Hooper, Andrew Billings, and Jacob Phillips. And then Scott took Ronnie Harrison, Malcolm Smith, BJ Goodson, and Cody Parkey. So back at it here on the roundtables here on a Friday. Make sure you leave reviews, five-star reviews for us. Tell us how much you love the roundtables. Again, we keep getting people. Every time I bring it up on the podcast, somebody tweets me or jumps in the texts and is like, yeah, we love the roundtables. So There you go. Let us know. But let us know with some five-star reviews in that Apple podcast store while you're at it. And, of course, check out Football Insider. It's cleveland.com slash browns. It's the blue banner up at the top of the page. So for Doug, Mary Kay, and Scott, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody. 